Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is it. The time has come. Saturday night's all right for fighting. Get in the ring and go the distance with Fight Night with Adam Catterall and Gareth A. Davies. You're better than that! On Talk Sport. Welcome to the Fight Night podcast. I'm Adam Catterall. Pleasure as always to be in your company. But if this is the first time that you've thought, you know something, I fancy some boxing this week, I wonder what Talk Sport offer. And I've gone to the Fight Night podcast. Please hit subscribe. You'll never miss out on any of the stuff that we bring you on a week-by-week basis. We're here every single Monday morning. Well, we're here every single Saturday night with the live show, but I appreciate you've got a busy life. So if you're only here for the podcast, Monday morning is your place. You can also get your Android feeds uh, via the TalkSport website. TalkSport.com is where you need to look. We had an action-packed show Saturday night. Lots to talk about uh, and lots of guests to talk to. We started by talking to Josh Warrington, a man that through his IBF, Championship in the bin, fought Maurizio Lara, got beat, and now finds himself uh, in a in a weird situation. How has he uh, dealt with that defeat? How has he dealt with no longer being world champion? Well, Josh very kindly came to join us on Saturday night for a chinwag, and this is how it sounded. He's caught him again, and again, and again, he gets up for the second time. Right hand success from Warrington as he doubles up the right hand, biting down on his gum shield and increasing his punch output, letting his hands go. And Warrington trying to pull him away, and it's all over. He's finished it. It's all over in the second. Bob Williams steps in there. Tremendous fight. And George Warrington raises his arms aloft. The strategy of the Warrington camp has been spot on. This is the Fight Night on Talk Sport. I'm Adam Catterall, Gareth A. Davies alongside me, uh, and we are pleased to welcome uh, the Leeds Warrior himself. I'm sure he will uh, have a bit of a smile on his face because his team won last night, and his mate also picked up uh, a nice little trinket as well in the boxing ring. It is, of course, the one and only Mr. Josh Warrington. How are you, Josh? I'm not too bad, Adam. Uh, Adam all. I'm very well, thank you. Very well. Friday night were a solid night, weren't it? You know what I mean? Leeds on the road, getting the job done at Fulham, and Maxi getting the job done in the ring as well. Yeah, fantastic. Friday was uh, was okay. I had a few uh, few decent runners at Cheltenham as well. And then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we're like, yeah, we're nice little, nice little treble. Um, obviously, brilliant for Leeds to get a win in London. But mm. um, but the highlight has to be uh, Matthew Hughes picking up the British title. 
Yeah. Um, just just touching on that one before we go forward. Just it only seems like two minutes ago, but back in the 2019, um, myself, um, Johnny Kebab, and Reese Mould were in the car with Matthews, heading <laughs> back from London after they just lost the fight against Liam Walsh. Yeah. And I, and I remember Maxi saying on the way back, I remember him saying, "It looks like it's in the road for me now, lads." You know, I think I'm, I think I'm done. All I ever wanted to do was win that British, and I think it's going to slip, it's going to slip, slip by me. And, uh, and 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 that that hit me. And yesterday, when they were walking back to the change rooms with that British towel around his waist, you know, like that that thought came back. For you know, he'd done it. You know, he he'd rewritten his his career, and um, and all of that now just seems like uh, it's unlockable, but. That felt very, very, very real at the time, and, and it was really, you know, he was retired. Mm. But you know, three massive wins down the line. He's, he's British champion. He's got WBC international belt as well, and uh, his career has rejuvenated itself. Mate, he's been the king of lockdown. There's no doubt about that. What he needs now, I just hope that. And this is no disrespect to obviously fighting on the MTK car because they've looked after him and he's done extremely well last night, getting the job done. Yep. I just hope that one of big promoters has a look at him and says, "Listen, come on, come on here, son, and let's get him some uh, serious coin because he's still painting and decorating and he's still he's still grafting away, doing his bits." Listen, I think he, I think he was it uh, was working on Tuesday and, and that's only because of, that's because he got called in a bubble on Wednesday. So <laughs> it was still drafting uh, was a lot, but I think that's what he likes to do. To be honest with you, yeah. But I, I agree with what you're saying, Adam. I think there's um, there's, there's some more um, there's more in him to go yeah. further forward. You know, Maxi is a is a is a talented fighter, and he can go beyond British. I think he could pick up a European uh, quite comfortably as well. But he just needs the opportunity. So. Uh, Let's see what we can do, mate. Let's see what we can do if he gives that opportunity. No, absolutely, mate. Fingers crossed he gets that opportunity. Right, come on. On to you. Um, no, let's lo- <laughs> Lots to talk about. Obviously, yeah, we haven't I'm, spoken. I'm, I'm, fired haven't... Up by, I'm fired up, by the way, because I've, yeah, I've, <laughs> the kids have been... Um, They've seen Johnny Kebab earlier, social distancing, and, uh, and he fed him up loads of chocolate, and now they've just thought last two hours. <laughs> and the bedtime is 7 o'clock. It's, you know, it's, it's after night now when they're still awake. He's down. He stays down to the down to Johnny Kebab. He thinks it's funny at the time, but he didn't. He didn't understand the repercussions. So two hours, two hours, been trying to get him to sleep, and <laughs> they've only just gone. Well, fired come on, up, vent, vent, that, vent that frustration out on us, mate, because we haven't spoken obviously since the uh, since the Lara fight. Yeah, uh, and we yeah. haven't spoken actually since um, since you made that made that call to vacate that IBF crown. Talk me through that process first. Why why did you decide that you wanted to chuck the IBF belt in the bin? Quite simple, really. At the, uh, at the time, it were uh, the thing that needed to happen in order to, uh, to keep all fights alive. So he, he all were very, very mumbled and then messed up around Christmas time. So to cut a long story short, by Christmas time, I go in at Christmas and I was fighting Kanju mm-hmm. um, for my ring mag uh, for my IBF title. Uh, Kanju's WBA title and the Ring Magazine belt yeah. and for whatever reason um, you know it was just looking like the, the Ring Magazine belt was going to be on the line because Santa Cruz uh, decided that he was going to be the champion uh, and come back down to to, um, to February and, and keep hold of his WBA super belt so the main belt was going to be the Ring Magazine belt and uh, my belt and his belt and then all of a sudden because uh, Keith Gal had knew that 
the um, it wasn't a, a full unification fight. He threw his toys out the pram and, um, you know, he decided to go down legal route of, of forcing his um, right to as manager challenger to to to, uh, to, to excite his right as, um, you know, getting the fight made between yeah. me and him. So that would have put a massive stumbling block on it. Now, what would it mean it would push, push the Kanju fight back to one side and then, uh, and then would have been, you know, would have had to prioritise the, the kick I love fighting. It's not something that I wanted to do. I wanted to go straight into fighting um, uh, fighting Kanju. You know, like I say, I, I don't want to go over all ground. It's not a long career. And, um, you know, I wanted to, I want to be testing myself against, you know, what was regarded as the best. So that's what we did. We, you know, I wasn't going to be, regard, I wasn't going to be defined by that one belt. You know, for me, three successful defences of that belt, you know, one against Lee Selby, defending against Carl Frampton, defending against Kigaladden's coach, you know, mm-hmm. the steadiest out of a lot of them. And for me, it was like moving forward and getting the next fight, which would have been, like I say, can Joe come through the Marisha Laura fight? And then, mm-hmm. and then uh, it'd have been, you know, after that, Gary Russell, et cetera, et cetera. Listen, hindsight's a wonderful thing. I mean, I'm sure there's loads of people that have been onto you on social media and whatever yeah, since, yeah, the, yeah. since the Lara fight. But at the time, if you're doing it, I thought, yeah, that's the right decision because you don't get the opportunity to fight for ring magazine belts that often. And they that's are like I mean, hen's yeah. teeth. So to, to, yeah. so to chase that, I was like, yes, I hope more fighters do exactly what you did. Yeah. Then the, then the, then the Lara fight comes along. Um, mm-hmm. Talk me through, now that the dust has settled on that, talk me yeah. through your thoughts about the way that that fight obviously played out and the way that you approached it? It's, again, it was a little bit weird. Well, now, obviously, massively frustrated because this, this Lara fight came in like five weeks' notice. Now, we we had that date originally to fight Jew on February yeah. 13th. And all of a sudden, I'm fighting this Michelle Lauren and, and the, the Jew fight's been, uh, been rescheduled for um, a month or two months after or whatever it is. Um, I don't know. It doesn't matter now anyway because... Uh, of what's happened, but all of a sudden I'm faced with fighting Slavi guy. Now I carried on training like I was fighting Jew. The, the focus were um, were still very high, like just like I say, like I was going into the biggest fight in my life. Um, but when it came to the actual fight itself, I don't know, man. I just I think overlooked a little bit. It was more or less like so we'll just get this one out of the way and then move on. And I think. You can't afford to do things like that in, in, in this sport at any level. You know, as prime example being Carl Frampton overlooking me, thinking that I wouldn't be able to hurt him. And then obviously, look how that result ended up. So, just one of them where I was very, very relaxed. Probably the most relaxed I've ever been in my career. Probably too relaxed, mm. if, they, if that's the same thing to do. I mean, normally I get a bit of adrenaline as I'm walking to the ring and uh, get pumped up and whatever. This, I've, I've been more pumped up for, for sparring sessions than, than, I, than I was this fight. It was like, I was in there, Adam. Hmm. And, I, and I was thinking, it was, I had him hurt in the first 30 seconds. And then I kind of backed off him and thought, you know what, I'll warm into this round. Hmm. Straight away, that's the wrong mentality to have. I shouldn't have been thinking warm into it. I should, I've got him hurt, go for the kill. You know, it's kill or be killed in there. You've, you've got to do what you've got to do. And obviously, the, the, the Malari warmed into it. And, um, you know, it just he capitalised on my on my downside on my on my just steady steady pace and uh, he exposed that. 
Josh, it's very interesting to hear you talk about it in this way tonight. You know, obviously it was February the 13th and, it, and you, you've had time to assess it. I, yeah. I, I ask you genuinely, I mean, obviously you, you've been caught out by your own principled decisions on what you wanted to do. Um, it wasn't you in there. It wasn't the you we're used to seeing in there on that night. And you did look like you got caught cold and then you, you were struggling to get back in the fight because you were hurt. And, but I mean... Your warrior spirit, I still admire what you did on the night. I, I know a lot of people have debated that Howard Foster should have stopped it or your father, yeah. Sean, yeah. should have stopped it. But 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 there were, you showed what you are as well. Um, and, I, yeah. and, I, and I praise you for that. But do you really need to go and beat this guy? Do, do you... Because, they, you know, the ranking system doesn't dictate that you have to go and beat him. But is this a principle in you that you've got to set the record straight? Yeah, definitely, Gareth. I'm a fighting man, and, and I think, like you say, there going by um, going by, what we've just said there about you know fighting till the very end, very very end. And I've, 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 I'm a big, I'm a boxing fan, and I like all the principles of old school fighters. You know, you fight till you can't fight no more. Um, mm. And 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 in the same way, you know, avenging losses. You know, I don't. It 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 kill me if. I was sat at home watching him fight somebody else, or a new British fighter, and that British fighter go and beat him, and and, and he's a fellow who's giving me my L, my first L, my only L of my mm. pro career. So, yeah, man, I've, I've, for me going forward, gotta be right that wrong for myself, not for anyone else, just for, just for myself to know that listen, it would have you had a bad night at the office in eleven years. You've had a you've had your first bad night at the office, and uh, and. Once I've done that, then I'll be satisfied and I can resume the career where, you know, I believe it should be. And that's the world stage. Well, we are really hearing your heart on your sleeve. You are a very, very proud man. And we can, it's coming out. I can even hear the emotion when you're talking about it. Um, September the 4th, I think it's Headingley Stadium. Yeah. Um, we're all crossing our fingers and toes right now, Adam and I, that you get a crowd in there because that will carry you in there as well and that we're not still dealing with this terrible pandemic and lockdown. How do you box him differently this time? What do you do? Because you'll be able to study him a bit more. What would you, Without giving a game plan, what are yeah. you going to do differently? What are you going to show us this time? Um, listen, there'll be... There's quite a few things um, that, that we'll do differently, and, uh, and one of them is make sure that I keep the mans nice and tight. <laughs> I think uh, that that was a problem last time. Just little things like coming back in a straight line. I mean, again, you know, the, the way that I approach the fight, I thought like you, you get an idea in the first ten seconds about what of someone's punch power. Now this fella, he didn't hit any harder than a Kiko Martinez, and he's actually a uh, a, a Carl Frampton, a Dennis Silani, didn't any out of them guys. But the difference being is going in that into them fights. The mentality was they were still always dangerous. Yeah. You know, punch power, speed, and I, I thought this guy, all right, he's got punch power. That's it. He won't be able to close me down in movement. He won't be able to catch me on uh, timing. He won't be able to uh, get me on uh, reactions or anything like that. Boxing ability. So I just kind of overlooked everything, all his other attributes. And uh, and little things like just like going back in straight lines instead of taking an angle, which I wouldn't normally do, you know. And then, and what I was doing, I was going on onto back end of these punches. So as I was stepping back, I was on the back end of of, of, of the full cost of this punch, 
and you know just little things like as it warming into the fight maybe I got a little bit too lackadaisy in the first few rounds standing in trading would be a little bit longer than I needed to you know, mm-hmm. and um, and that gave me an, um, it, 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 it no longer made it my fight. It made it a fifty-fifty fight, and obviously, you know, it caught me a fair few times in the first three rounds, and then, you know, it took me out of my my rhythm, sort of thing. So that certainly wouldn't uh, happen in the second fight. You know, I'd be treating him like it would be a Carl Frampton or a Selby or a Gallard. You know, I'd be taking him a lot more seriously and. And that's, that's what I need to, to not only just beat him, but put on a passive performance. Can I, can I just say, Josh, um, I know Adam yeah. wants to close, close the, the interview with you, but um, just a couple of things. I had interviewed Galahad, Kid Galahad, obviously your big rivals, on the Saturday and um, before the fight. It might have been on the Friday night or the Saturday on a Zoom. You know, and yeah. he, was, you know, he was doing his things, saying his things, blah, blah. But I tried to get him for a comment on the Sunday and uh-huh. I will say, and this is what I love about our sports. This is what I do genuinely love. When the chips were down and you had been hurt in that fight, he sent yeah. me a message saying, you know what? I do not want to comment because I want Josh to recover from this. And I don't want to be seen to be saying things about him when he suffered a loss like this. And do you know what? There's, an, there's a respect level in this sport that goes beyond the track for building up a fight's and I felt emotional and proud of him for doing that on the Sunday afterwards that he didn't want to comment. Because I think it showed how much he really does respect you deep down, you know? Yeah, like I say, me and Barry have uh, known each other a long time. And, uh, you know, obviously we shared some we shared some words. Well, he'll remember. He'll remember after we, after we boxed, which, you know, we reminisced about old times. So, listen, I think a lot of people were... Um, worried after how the fight ended. Obviously, I did get to speak to, to, to the media after. I, was, I rushed straight to hospital and it, it didn't look pretty either for, for three or four, well, I'll say five rounds after I'd been knocked down. I just, I took a lot of every shot, so... It, it no, but it was what worried out. everyone, Josh. What, Josh, yeah, what worried happen. everyone was that you were saying that you couldn't remember a lot of it. That's what we were about as well, you know? Yeah, yeah. But it is, it, listen, it's character of, of, of a lot of people. I also got a message, I think, of uh, Carl Stevenson as well, who would in the past we've shared words on social media, but even him, you know, pointing out that we'll, I'll be back and you know, I'll get to a full recovery. So, you know, a lot of boxers, they say a lot of things in, in media, but, you know, 99% have, have still got that class deep down. No, absolutely, yeah. man. Listen, I think the most important thing, and the, and the thing that I'm taking away from this conversation tonight, Josh, is... You, I speak to, we speak to so many fighters on, on, on this show and some are still not at peace with various losses and they've not come to terms with it and they've not accepted it and they've not, they've not understood it and processed it. You've, you've yeah. done it immediately, mate. You've done it absolutely yeah. immediately. You know what's gone wrong and yeah. you know what you've got to do in order to, to rectify that mistake. And fingers crossed, as Gareth said a moment or two ago, there's a few thousand or a few tens of thousands of people in that Edinley Stadium uh, come September the 4th mate, to cheer you on. Yeah, and fingers crossed we yeah. get to go there as well. And we're there doing yeah. the broadcast. Yeah, hopefully. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Listen, it's been a pleasure speaking to you, man. It is what it is. Sometimes things like this are blessings in disguise, aren't they? You know what I mean? And I've no doubt the uh, uh, the Leeds Warrior will rise from the Phoenix. Rise from the flames, should I say. The Phoenix will rise from the flames <laughs> once again, mate. Exactly, mate. Exactly. Like I said, mate, it's how you bounce back when... Uh, of course. When, you know, when crap hits the fan, so to speak, and, and, and it's how you bounce back. So um, I'm not, not the first one to lose, and, and, and I won't be the last one. So, um, you know, it's happened. I, I feared it. 
it's first time it's happened in 11 years and then yeah. 35 so listen I'll be back I'll be certain of that and I will be champion again there you go just a reminder on that date September the 4th Headingley is uh, rumoured to uh, to be the rematch date for Josh Warrington and Maurizio Lara uh, one man that's fighting on May the 1st against Derek Chisora is Joseph Parker he's no longer based in New Zealand that's right he's based over here now training with Andy Lee and that is where we started this conversation it's a little different because it is when, when we are speaking it's night time here for you guys and it's, mm. um, and it's morning there for me but Listen, we're all on the same same time zone now, so it's a lot That's easier it. now to, you know, get in That's touch, it. have a That's chat. That's it. You, you, you've no excuses now, Joe. We're just going to be hounding you, getting you on the show every single week. Um, <laughs> now, listen, we've, we've got lots to talk about, uh, especially in the build-up to this uh, this fight on May the 1st. I want, you, I want to look back as well at the junior fire fight. But first of all, uh, we heard the news a couple of weeks ago uh, that you're no longer going to be working with uh, Kevin. Um, and you're over here, obviously, now because you've teamed up with Andy Lee. Talk to me about your thought processes of how that all came about. Yeah, we had a you know we had a fight with Junior Fun and Kevin and I have been together for eight years or you know for a long time, and I guess um, you know it was uh, you know we've, we've achieved a lot together. You know we became world champion and we had uh, many fights and many wins, and we just felt it was time for us to you know just to, to go in our different ways and try something else. So I mean I'm not getting any younger, and I feel like it's um, it's important for me to to take a step of of trying something else. You know. And the training camp that we had, it was everything was great, but I, I felt like I was getting used to it, and I just wanted something new. So then we, um, you know, after the fight with Junior Far, we, you know, we sat down and had a chat, and then Kieran left for Vegas, and I decided, you know, after that, that I would try and look for a new coach. Um, and the first person I called was Tyson Fury to get his advice, and he said to me that Andy Lee would be a great coach for me to work with. Look at that. I completely agree with you, Joseph. Um, he's incredibly knowledgeable, as you as you found steeped in history, knows the movements, the dance so well, and he's only ever very erudite and, and clever on everything in boxing. What I want to ask you is this. Delboy Chisora, or Mr. War Chisora, right? He came on the show a couple of weeks ago, or last week, and he was rattling his big mouth about you. He was rattling away about you. You were running scared, you... You, you didn't want to face him. You met in Vegas. You pulled a load of stunts to get away from him. <clears throat> Verify for us now, on fight night with Adam Catterall and Gareth A. Davis on Talk Sport, that you are not running from War Chisora. <laughs> Listen, he, he, he knows what to say to promote a fight. He probably knows what to say to give himself confidence, and he talks a whole lot of crap. But come fight night, he's got to face me in the ring. And, you know, it's... Um, you know, I'm gonna have to try. And, I'm gonna have to punch his mouth for that. On the on the fight, <laughs> uh, because I kind of enjoyed the, this back and forth has been going between you two for for some time. We've seen it play out on social media. It does seem a little bit of fun, but let's be honest: when the bell rings on men first, there ain't gonna be nothing fun about this. These guys are gonna uh, these guys uh, are gonna be going at it. Are you looking forward? And and this is kind of looking back as well at the junior far fight. And this is no disrespect to junior far. Um, are you looking forward uh, to be fighting someone that is most certainly going to be bringing it to you uh, on fight night? I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited and I'm looking forward to fighting someone like Chisora who's going to come for. I don't have to go looking for him. Yeah, He's going to be there to be hit, and he's going to be doing a lot of hitting as well, um, hopefully the air. But 
this is a fight where this guy's going to come forward. We know what his foul is. He puts his head down, he comes forward, he pressure, puts on pressure, and he just throws his hand. And he's, you know, he's done that for for many of his fights, and he's had some great wins uh, over recent times, a few losses. But we know that we're not going to go looking for a fight. It's going to come to us, and uh, we're going to have to fight fire with fire. It's nice, you know, that that we were saying to to him. Derek's been on a couple of times recently, as you have, and we always thank you for being a friend of the show. There's something about you when you come to the UK. You've been here when you were WBO champion, defending against Hugh Fury. You had the massive Anthony Joshua fight, the massive Dillian White fight. You've got a fan base here now. You you are an identifiable face. So when you come and fight here, is it like coming to a home from home? And now you're with Andy Lee, of course, who's from this side of the pond. Is it quite comfortable to come over and fight the O2 Arena or fight a Wembley Arena? Is it something that's natural? I feel like, like you mentioned, that uh, we've been well-received here and we have a lot of support. We have a lot of people that want to see us do well and also a lot of people that want to see us get beat. But um, like you <laughs> say, it feels like when I'm leaving New Zealand where I'm comfortable, it's like I'm coming here and it feels like I'm, I'm, it's not a strange place. It's not a place where I feel like, oh, this is a new place. I haven't been like, I'm comfortable here and I'm happy here. And I feel like, I, you know, it's great for me to be on this side of the world. It's something new, but I am excited. I'm excited, and um, I feel like, you know, I don't know, I'm just happy. I'm real happy to be here. Listen, we're happy to have you here. Like I said, we can annoy you now that you're on our time zone, mate. We don't have to wait for you to get up in the morning. So uh, that, <laughs> that's where exactly. we're at. Um, now, with you coming to the UK, of course, um, there's going to be extra pressure on you. I've no doubt that television companies and media companies have been all over you, Joseph, uh, for your for your talents and your uh, and your skits that you have been knocking out on the on the old social media. Um, have you managed to get Andy Lee and the gang involved in anything uh, any time soon? Are they going to be singing on any of your videos? What, what's going to be going down, mate? Listen, I, he has seen a few of them, and yeah. but at the moment we're just focusing more on the training side of things. I'm gonna just hang around him for a bit, you know, do a little bit of training, a few weeks in, and then I'm gonna say, "Hey, do you reckon we should do this?" <laughs> and he's slowly getting him into it, not not hit him right, you know, right from the start. Otherwise, he'd be like, "What the heck is this?" <laughs> Listen, you'll break him down eventually, mate. You'll see his karaoke skills and, and you'll see the opportunity to be able to create something that goes viral, I've no doubt, mate. I've no, I've no doubt about that. Um, are you, is this permanent now, um, working with Andy and obviously being based in the UK, or are you still open to other things? What, 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 is, the, what is the plan going forward? The plan going forward, I mean, this is our first camp together and we've got this fight lined up for May 1, so... We're just going to, you know, do the work that we need to do here. We're going to do the sparring, do the training, do everything we need to do. And come May 1, that's, that's going to be, that's going to be a big, you know, a big night for us because that's, it's a, it's a make or break. I mean, it's another fight that's make or break. The last fight, um, very happy to get the win, but it wasn't a, a, it wasn't a performance that we're happy with. And it wasn't like a statement performance that we're looking for. So, I mean, every fight that we go into, we need to look good. We need to make a statement. We need to fight well. And, and I think this is the fight where, you know, hopefully things, you know, come together. We put on a great performance. But well, Joseph, is, you, you know, it's that yeah. well, we're, we're going to continue to train together. Hmm. Now, Joseph, you, you, you know, you thoroughly deserve to be a box office star over here. Of course, May the 1st, it will be a box office event. It's a terrific card as well with Katie Taylor on against Natasha Jonas, a repeat of the Olympic quarterfinal from 2012. Um, you know, we, we do really wish you all the best and we can't wait to have you over. Um, one of the things that... I always think about you is that you deliver. 
can you deliver for us um, your prediction for your friend Dillian White and Alexander Povetkin next weekend? How do you see it going? My my prediction would be I, I feel that Dillian White um, was going to get the win. I, I just feel the first fight. I mean, one the, the punch that he, that he got caught with was a very good time punch from Povetkin, but before that even happened, I think he was. That he was, I think we all saw that he was, um, you know, doing very well in the fight, Dylan White. So I feel that he's, that he can learn from what, you know, what happened, and he can come in, you know, with, a, with, a, with the same plan, but just be a bit more cautious, be careful. There was a lot of top class British performances over the weekend. Lawrence Acoli, of course, became the WBO Cruiserweight champion, but on Friday night, we got ourselves a new European champion, and he did it in quick fashion. Lee McGregor was absolutely mustered. On Saturday night, he very kindly joined us on the show. He really is ducking into those shots. He's trying to protect himself, Murphy. And it's a massive left hook as he was protecting his midriff. It's the left hand, and that might just have punched the fight out of Murphy. It's all over! First round stoppage, and what a statement from Lightning Lee McGregor. Numerous delays, many obstacles put in the way, many challenges to overcome. Um, to be honest, it was a real mentally challenging time for me to these past six months preparing for that fight. Um, we got news firstly about this fight by way back in September uh, when Josh, Josh Taylor was finishing his camp off for the fight with Consong and I've been in camp ever since then mm. um, drilling and just improving as a fighter and yeah, it was devastating at the time like when the November date fell through but um, looking back now, they, they were definitely blessings because in the the months leading up and eventually getting into the ring in March, I was in the best possible position I could be and I'd improved a hell of a lot um, since teaming up and joining my band. So it given me more time and like you said, I, I didn't imagine it to go like that, but I was very, very confident going in there and, doing, and putting on a dominant performance. Well, well you mentioned postponements there uh, and let's not do this light because... I mean, we're talking last-minute uh, moments of the fight falling off and rearrangements and various things like that. You, you'd completed camps. You'd completed camps yeah. for the fight, lived with this guy in your head for such a long period of time, mm. and then had to obviously come down and then go again, mate, for, for, for yeah. a new day. That's a tough thing to do. No, definitely. That's what I mean. Like, I've said this before previously. Like, it's it's always tough dealing with, with cancellations and postponements and stuff, but it's slightly easier if it's done... Um, Weeks out from from yeah. the dates, do you know what I mean? Because you're not down on the weight, you're not um, you've not pushed your body to the absolute limits, and you've not peaked. And all the hard work was done for me. The weight was down, everything was done. Literally, all that was left to do was fight. The easy part, um, fight week, was obviously making weight and stuff like that. That's all that was left to do. So, for it to fall through three times, all at the same sort of stage, was it was just even more a task and even more mentally challenging. Um, but I think I showed my character and I, I stuck to it and I, a lot of fighters could have easily thrown the towel and, and it's obviously no secret that, that it's tough for me making weight. I'm a big lad for bantamweight, so for me to continue... <laughs> you are, you're a... You, 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 what's that? 
Yeah, you are. I was. I was saying that to Ben. Obviously, you're trained by Ben Davison. Ben, ben and I have been talking about you for a long time, actually. And um, it is lovely to have you on the show for the first time. I've really been looking forward to having you on, Lee, because honestly, I'm not joking. I've talked about you with Ben Davison probably about 15 times. And, <laughs> you know, I don't want to blow smoke up you now. No, I don't want to blow smoke up you, but he's told me for several months that he has got you nailed down in his head as a future world champion. You've just beaten a guy in Karim Gurfi who I think seven or eight with one of the, with, with the WBC, yeah, is it? Yeah, or some, one of the sanctuary bodies. IBF, IBF. And, and which, yeah. and who's the champion there? Noya Inui. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, before we, before we came, I know, before we came on air tonight, I was saying to Adam, and this sounds like a massive thing to say about a 24 year old who's 10 and 0 with eight knockouts. Mm. I was saying, I would put Lee in, I'm not your promoter or your trainer. Yeah. Um, I've got a feeling about Lee, I'd put him in with Nonito Donaire tomorrow. You know, yeah, um, yeah, and he's number one for the WBC. What do you hear? What do you think when I when you hear me say that? Yeah, well, obviously before teaming up with Ben Davison, um, I would have probably, I would have probably said uh, said to you, you know what, calm down, yeah, I'm, I'm nowhere <laughs> near there. But <laughs> the, improvements, the improvements I've made in the six months being with Ben really is encouraging and he's I thought I was a long way off world level and he's made me basically realise that I'm not um, but look that's a solid European fighter I just done that unbelievable let's not forget like he's not yeah. he's not you can get these European fighters who have kind of got a stroke of luck and got an easy gift and, and, and got that European title and then a British fighter kind of comes in and, and snatches it off him you've seen it before but this guy has won four European belts. He's yeah. been a four-time European champion. He's a 33-fight veteran. Mm-hmm. 29 wins. He's only ever lost to the very best, really, like the yeah. world-level fighters. Lee, Lee the comparison that I was... A, a friend of mine was talking to me about it last night, and the comparison I was making was uh, the Avanesian Josh Kelly thing. You know, yeah. uh, he's, yeah, he's of a level of Avanesian. That's what I, I was trying to make the comparison yeah, to. and I've said this, and I've said as well that... Like there was a big, there was a lot, of, there was a big outcry, outcry after the Josh Kelly fight, and there was a lot of talk and um, critics saying that Josh Kelly should never have been thrown in there um, with only twelve fights under his belt um, by a guy like that, and it's just an absolute disgrace and this and that. And then a couple of weeks later, I go and pull that off in less fights, and yeah. um, I, I, I want to get the recognition that I deserve. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I feel like. Um, I made a massive statement last night, and I hope I hope I, I am seeing. I'm getting lots of positive messages today, which is nice, and I hope it continues over the the following days and weeks, and 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 people start to take notice that I'm no joke. Like I really am, and I'm I'm ready to take over. I'm 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 a big lad. I can go up through the weights. My my goal is not to become world champion. That's not my goal. My goal is to become multiple weight world champion. Like I've got the frame. Uh, to go three, four weights, and that's that's history, history making stuff, and that's that's what I want to do. I want to cement my name in the, in the history books and and create a legacy for myself. And I'm, I'm on the right track, and I've got the best team around me. I couldn't have my career um, in safer hands, and I'm so excited. Like normally, after a fight, um, like all my previous fights before, like the Cash Brook fight and things like that, like. I thought I was doing things right, but I was so wrong. Like, Ben has opened my eyes so much, and he always uses the saying, you don't know what you don't know, and it's so true. Like, before the Casper fight and things, like, for me to make the weight, 
it was just like I was training all fight week, like absolutely draining my body. Mm. Um, and then before the fight in the changing rooms, like feeling heavy leg the whole day in the lead up to the fight, walking to the ring still feeling heavy leg. You can see it in my performance. The first four rounds against Kasparuk, I was dead on my I was dead on my feet, um, and then I don't know what it's just something in me. I'm a fighter. I've got a lot and lot of grit. I've been through a lot of my life. There's no quitting me. I can dig very deep, and I got a good second wind in that fight. And I just won it on sheer heart and determination. There was nothing else that that got me through that fight than, than just heart and determination. Whereas now, last night, I was fresh legged. I had my legs back by um, eight. 6pm the, the night of the way and I've refueled properly, I've made weight properly, I'm a proper professional now, I'm living like a proper professional and I said it beforehand so it's not as if I'm coming out now and saying it because it was a good performance because I was saying it beforehand, I said listen you're going to see a career best performance I said before I went into the ring I said I've got no excuses if I don't come home with this belt and I don't know, I don't go and do what we've all been doing for weeks and you all know that I can do then I'm not as good a fighter as what I thought. Um, and that's why I was so confident, because I'd done everything right. I felt amazing. I had the game plan. I've never done any. I've never been in a position like that before. And that's why I was so confident. And, and the performance proved it. And I'm, I just showed everybody that, that I'm a whole new, different fighter now. I really am. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Now, last weekend, Jessica McCaskill retained her undisputed status in the welterweight division. She originally beat Cecilia Breakhouse by majority decision. Last weekend, she beat her by unanimous decision. And Jessica joined us live from the States on Saturday's show. Jessica McCaskill 
with a big punch here in round one. This is exactly what she does. She pressures. She's nonstop pressure. She challenges your conditioning. I mean, the way it looks right now, McCaskill is just bullying and backing up Rekas. And what a fight this has turned into, ladies and gentlemen. Rekas is hurt. That overhand right landed for McCaskill. After 10 rounds of action, we go to the judges' scorecards, and still the undisputed welterweight champion of the world, Jessica Kaskilla McCaskill. Uh, you know how much that we love uh, when an announcer says undisputed. It doesn't matter what the weight class is, undisputed means the world to us here on this show, and I've no doubt it means the world to the fighter that we're about to speak to as well. Uh, because it's the fighter that was just announced. Jessica McCaskill, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Very well indeed. Congratulations on a wonderful performance last weekend. Uh, of course, uh, a rematch against uh, Cecilia. First time around, you became the undisputed welterweight champion of the world. Um, and I've no doubt that uh, it feels even better to do it a second time. And the second time, this time, uh, being an undisputed decision. Yeah, I'm very happy with the decision, very happy with my performance. I feel like it just echoes, you know, what we, what our values are here at home and, and how hard our team works together. And um, I think that's the important part, just the cohesiveness and the team atmosphere and how we're all on the same page. I wouldn't be able to do anything I've done with my coach and manager. It's just, it says a lot about... Uh, our team no absolutely the performance was uh, was top class obviously to be a part of that top class card as well last weekend uh, must have been uh, something to put on the uh, on the cv uh, but what i want to talk to you about uh, jessica is is the next steps because now obviously you're the hottest prospect uh, the, the hoppers, hottest property in the welterweight division you've got the biggest target on your back i've no doubt that everybody uh, will be looking towards you to to obviously be fighting you now um We've seen you in with Katie Taylor previously at a lower weight uh, category. We've got Clarissa Shields at the higher weight category who has eluded that she might want to come down. What do you want to do? You're the champ. You're the undisputed champ at 147. What do you want to do next? I definitely want to keep the, the welterweight division intact. And meaning, you know, if Katie Taylor's going to come up, definitely want to keep it at a respectable weight. You know, I don't want to go 140 for 147 title fight um you know i just think that everything needs to be in order uh before you know we we do anything crazy but uh katie taylor i would love to get a rematch with her um to silly i mean uh sorry she's done um uh, <laughs> That's very clarissa, good. <laughs> if clarissa can make the weight i feel like that would be a big fight i think you know she has following i have a good following and I think it would just be fireworks and so that would be good for boxing as a whole um there's there's other options out there um like, like I said Rick Ramos is always working he's got you know a couple of tricks uh, up his sleeve you know depending on where we want to go but like you said there's a lot of people calling me out and that's yeah. kind of been the case ever since I find, I got my first WBC belt just kind of you know people that we've called out said no and then you get the belt and then you know I guess you're worth fighting I don't know so a lot of people yeah. lost their chance and we're just going to try to keep going forward. Jessica, um, Gareth here. Many, many congratulations on the performance last week because it was a majority decision the first time. I thought you won fair and square, but it was a, an outstanding performance. 
the second time around. I'm not surprised you're a little bit salty about Cecilia Breakers and saying, no, she's done. Cause she was a bit, she was a bit salty towards you afterwards. And I, and it was out of character for her, I thought. And uh, she should have given you a lot more credit after that fight than she did because your career since the loss to Katie Taylor in 2017, I think has been extraordinary. And, and anyone, and I think you should be pursuing Katie Taylor because she has grown so big over here. We are ready, and Adam will agree with me on this, we are ready for some women's mega fights over here. And I mean mega fights with 30,000, 40,000 people at them. Yeah. And anyone who you can say, and this is about Jessica McCaskill, every listener, just listen to this. Chicago investment banker yeah. who overcame homelessness <laughs> savors her shot at WBA title. Jessica McCaskill, discuss, please. <laughs> Which part? There's, there's so well, many well, Just tell oh, yeah. the, all of it. <laughs> just like just Chicago investment banker who overcame homelessness <laughs> savors her world title yeah. shot. Can you please explain that a little bit? So when I was younger, probably around like the fourth grade, uh, we, we kind of lost a lot of things over, you know, a bad divorce. Um, so me, my mom, and two of my brothers, until my mom could get on her feet. And, uh, you know, it's just like, as you're in the fourth grade, and I don't even know how old that is, but it's, you know, maybe 11, 12, something like that. And yeah, yeah. the kids don't understand what that means. They don't understand when you don't get Christmas presents, they, you have to grow up really fast. And so I think a lot of the things that I pulled from come from those times when I just had to make it help happen. And I was very much on my own and I had to just kind of dig deep on the inside. Um, I do have a full-time job. I work in investment banking and regulatory reporting. So I'm up at, um, about 3.30 every morning so I can get my training in before I have to be at work at 6 a.m. And so I work six to three and in between there, I'm trying to get some running in during lunch or you know, before and after work, I'm working out and I just have a really tight schedule. Um, so that's that's a little bit of my life. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's extraordinary. And, and obviously, you know, that homeless period, you were living in the back of a church, weren't you? This, this is all out there. It's an extraordinary story. Yeah. I mean, that these narratives, you know, that we often talk about in boxing. That's why we love speaking to fighters, Gareth, isn't it? Exactly, it's, 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 exactly, ex exactly. And and that's why we're ready for these kind of stories and these big events now in women's boxing as we are as much in men's boxing. Honestly, you've been over here. You know how passionate the British fight fans over. I when when Clarissa Shields yeah. won last week on the on the on the on the fight TV card, and she was saying. You know, get me over to the UK and I'll fight Savannah Marshall for 750k. I think all you women should be on one of these giant cards that there's, you know, millions thrown at it so that you guys can then train for a year without having to go and do investment banking at half three in the morning. Do you know what I mean? Or half four in the morning? It, because it must, it yeah. must be difficult when you yeah. can't be... You want to be pro, you have a pro attitude, but you can't be fully pro because you've got to hold down a job. Yeah, it's it's definitely not easy. Uh, I just use it to build discipline and it keeps me out of trouble. You know, my schedule's so packed. All I have time for is to pretty much take care of my dogs and sleep and then get up and do it all over again. <laughs> so I think, I wow. think I'm just an extreme story 
that people can pull from and build off of. Like, I don't expect for everybody to be able to go through the things that I go through. Um, not even talking about being homeless or the things I went through as a child, just keeping the schedule that I keep. I don't expect that, but I, I would expect for people to maybe pull a little something from here or there to help them with their journey. There's mm. no doubt about that. You're most certainly an inspirational character. Just before we let you get on with your uh, uh, your day, Jessica, I just want to get your thoughts on, on, on parity in the female game because we've been speaking about it on this show for a long time now. Um, about three-minute rounds for the girls. And, I, and my personal thoughts on this is that if they allow three-minute rounds for the girls, we will then get to see more stoppages, more viral moments, of which then might inspire the next generation of girls to go to the gym and obviously take up the sport, and it helps the sport grow. I just want, from the inside, as a fighter, what's your thoughts on that? Are you, are you one that is championing three-minute rounds over two-minute rounds? I am very much for whatever the decision is because I, I don't have like a health background. I don't have any scientific background to say whether it's good or not. So once, if they come out and say for your next fight, you and Katie Taylor, you're going three minutes. I'm down for it. I'm definitely here for it, but I, I wanted to make, I want to make sure that it's the right decision. There's so many things that could go wrong with that. You say more knockouts and you say more mm -hmm. stoppages that could mm -hmm. also um, di dilute the, the girls, the, the pool that we have, we don't have a very big pool of females. And then you start taking girls out for 60 or 90 day suspensions because they're injured. Then there's less people that can fight and that's going to end up hurting the sport instead of helping the sport. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I could see it both ways. I do think that there are more platforms coming out um, that are going to maybe kind of find a way to get it done. So I think, it, I think it's really close to happening. Um, and, and if you have two people that are, are okay with doing it and you sign the right waivers, I think people are, they may jump in maybe sooner than it should be, but I, I feel like it's going to happen really soon. Coming up on April 24th, we've got a British title fight in the middleweight division. Denzel Bentley is currently the champion there, and he's going at it with Felix Cash. Now, these two have had a bit of needle in the past. Oh, yeah, they're supposed to have had a bit of a spar. It all went off. It spilled out onto the street. Well, don't take my word for it, because Felix Cash was on the show at the weekend, and we asked him about it. We didn't start the conversation there, though. We talked about his rise through the ranks to becoming a 13-0 fighter. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the reigning, defending, undefeated Commonwealth middleweight champion, Felix Cash. Massive shots from Cash. Big credit to his conditioning and his will to win as well. Let's his legs are all over the place, and the referee waves it over. And Felix Cash has done this inside a round. Howard Foster again takes a big look. I think he can get this cut. He's got anything left. And Felix Cash might win the war right now. He got it done in the end. And he proved that he is the man. There's a decent performance. You know, um, you know he's a high-caliber opponent. You know, he fought for a world title. And um, so, you know, it was, um, it was a bit of a step up for me. And, you know, to go in there and I've done the job with him and I found it pretty easy, to be honest with you. Um, but, you know, the better opponent opponent I've, I've faced now, the better the better I'll be. You know, when, when you're first in, you're the, you're, you're the opponents, you know, they're just there to survive. And, you know, you don't really bring the best out of you sometimes. So when mm -hmm. someone's in there, you know, wanting to fight, you can... Um, 
you, 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 the opportunity to take them out arises. Um, well, do you know something? I was going to ask you that because that's evident in your career. Because, like you say, you've, you've, you're uh, through 13 fights. Those first 10, for example, guys are turning up. They're looking to survive. They're looking to hold on. They're just looking through to get through the fight. So it's very, very difficult in order to, to capture the imagination of the fans. But the last couple, like I said, Guys have turned up believing that they've got a chance against you and you've stepped up. You've risen to the game and you have obviously shown your levels and, and the quality uh, that you've got. The next fight for the British title on April 24th, Denzel Bentley. He's obviously on a nice little run as well right now. The fans are set for an absolute cracker here, aren't they? Yeah, so it's going to be, listen, on paper, it should be a very, very good fight um, on, on paper. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a decent fighter. Like I say, he's been on a decent one himself. Um but listen, I've um, you know, I, I feel like I'm a level above him. Um, you know, I've, I've, I feel like I've got what I've got, I've got what it takes to be him, and um, and that's what I intend to do. I've been um, I've been training hard in the gym, and you know, I've been looking good in the gym too. So um, I'm looking forward to getting my hands on that British belt. It's um, it's a belt that I've, you know I've, um, I've dreamed of winning since, since I was a kid. So um, I'm looking day 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 forward to um, get my hands on it. Yeah, Felix, I'm very much looking forward to it as well. Whenever I talk to... Well, I like this matchup between you and Denzel as well because it's Martin Bowers against Tony Sims as well. I mean, they are friends, of course. They're not enemies, but they're, they're, there'll be a lot of strategic and chess games going on in the two camps. Tony says of you that... The, he's always said to me, he said, you've got to watch Felix because we haven't seen the best of him. The sky's the limit. Do you... No, you have it to go all the way. I know, listen, you're from a lineage in boxing. You're probably boxing when you were, well, as soon as you could walk, I imagine. You know, it's in your lineage. Do you know you've got it in you to go to world level as well? Yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, um, I, believe in, I believe in world level. Um, you know, I've sparred some world level, I've sparred a lot of world level um, opponents, uh, you know, fighters. I know Spans bound, you know yourself, it's um, a different ball game when you get in there on the leaves of lights with small gloves and no egg guard, but it's the closest mm. thing to it. And, you know, I've been, um, I've more than hold, holding my own with guys and, you know, give, I'll give a few patients out too, but I ain't going to mention no names. But, you know, um, I've got, um, I've, I believe I've got what it takes and, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm kind of, that's what I'm in the game for, to, you know, to, to, to win a world title and, 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 you know, and go all the way. Otherwise, I wouldn't bother doing it. Um, so, um, I, I, I believe I've got what it takes. It's just um, to picking the right fight at the right time and, and, um, and, and getting there. Don't name no names, all right, but there's also another match-up in this event as well it's Eddie Hearn against Frank Warren right so does Eddie go right Felix you're going to get an extra little brown envelope if you can do him because I've got one over Frank <laughs> no I wish he did because I'll be getting a few more pounds off. <laughs> I wish he did <laughs> Felix talk to me about this this particular fight with Denzel because there's loads of rumours if you just type your two names into the internet mate there's loads of rumours about sparring at the Peacock and a bit of an altercation outside the Peacock and what have you what happened mate come on talk me through it what happened is there a bit of is there a nice little bit of needle that adds a bit of spice to this fight yeah yeah we had a bit of a needle listen it's all fun and games and it's part of boxing but no listen what happened is um, I think he'd done a few rounds with Ted Cheeseman I'd done a few rounds with another fella and then um, we swatched Partners, man. I think I only done around half of him. 
you know, um, I stuck it all over him, to be honest with you. And um, I know it was a good time, a good long time ago, but I stuck it all over me. He was holding on for dear life, and um, you know, and then you know he kept holding, and it got a bit, it got a bit nasty. And um, we had a few words, a bit of a scruffle, and um, trying with Tony, and and a few of the others jumped in and um, and separated us. <laughs> he said, he says that you stuck the nut on him, mate. Did you? Uh, I don't know when the heat the moment I could have done anything. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> that's but, a very um, di- that's a diplomatic answer. I like it. It's nice. Yeah, but um, listen, it's um, it's all fun and games, and it? it's power boxing. Listen, more more fight men in me. Sometimes it just um, it gets out of hand. Sometimes. Did Did you find um, when you were in fight camp and you were around everyone? Um, it was, I think it was the one of the August fights, wasn't it? Or one of the earlier ones, perhaps, in when, when we were all stuck together in, in tiny little Holiday Inn, that it was yeah. difficult to be around opponents in fight week. Didn't you have an altercation in there as well with someone? <laughs> uh, not that I remember, no. Gareth's causing bother here now, causing trouble. Felix, you uh, mentioned you, you mentioned at the start of the conversation um, the British Lonsdale belt and how much that means to you. You've dreamt of it uh, when you were a kid and wanted, wanting to win it. Talk us through that, man, because but, but fans can kind of lose sight of how important winning one of those titles is. Talk to me about what it means to you to win it. Listen, it means it means a lot to me. So, you know, if, if I don't win that, I won't be going. I won't be going any further in my career anyway. But um, listen, it's um, it's a battle I've always I've always wanted to win. And um, you know, just since you're a kid, you always watch. You know, watching Friday Fight Night, and you know, um, back then you always used to be on a Friday night when I used to watch it, and um, on Sky, and um, was, um, oh, you know, there's always a British title fight on. There's always been a British title fight. It's a prestigious belt, and everything. Every British fighter wants to win the British British belt, don't they? So, um, no, I'm, um, I've always, I've always, you know, since since I was an amateur and getting my, I've always thought about winning it. And uh, now, obviously, the it's it's nearly there. So I'm looking very forward to getting my hands on it. Felix, last question for me. Being serious, I, I might have mistaken it was someone else having an altercation. It might have been me and Dave Coldwell in the um, Holiday Inn. <laughs> yeah, um, but, <laughs> um, you know, growing up in the race you're from, when did you, can you tell us a, a couple of little stories about you when you were younger and how you knew you wanted to do this and who inspired you into into wanting to be a boxer? Well, um, to be honest with you, me, um, me dad's done a bit of boxing. He's, he's, he's done a bit of bro knocking outside too. My dad and me, my uncle, my uncle Michael Cash, and you know, and a few of my uncle, a few of my other uncles, they they used to um, do a bit of fighting, bro knocking fighting outside, and um, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. and um, they used to, they used to, used to do a bit of boxing as well, and and then you know, my brothers boxed, my two older brothers boxed, and um, you know, and then you know, when I was, I used to watch that box, and then my dad used to chuck the boxing gloves on me when you know I was about to get me and my older brother sparring, and um, before I even you know even went to a boxing club, um, so I used to me and me, me and my older my oldest brother um, Paddy, he's, um, a couple of years older, me and him, me and him used to spar all the time when, they, when I must have been six or seven, he's, he's about a year older, a year and a half older than me. And um, it just went from there, really. And then I went to a boxing club about eight, and I was just saying, stop sense. Right, listen. Did you ever do bare knuckle yourself, though? Did, can I? Sorry, Ad. Can, yeah, did you ahead. ever do bare knuckle? Uh, I've had a few straps. <laughs> <laughs> so, so. I won't say too much. <laughs> Fair enough. Just, I just wanted to hear it. That was all. I just you keep that. Now, 18th 
of March 1995. Do you remember it? Hmm. Steve Collins versus Chris Eubank won. In Ireland, St. Patrick's Weekend. How could you not remember this? What a fight it was. Steve Collins joined us on the show at the weekend to talk us through it. He gave us all the little nuances of the fight itself. And as well as that, given the history that he's got with training partners that he's had in the past, he also paid tribute to marvellous Marvin Hagler. Here's Steve. I've asked you this, but what did you have on in in the headphones? The theme music to the Rocky movie. <laughs> got to be done. Of course. Got of course. <laughs> <laughs> music I came out to. Every, when everybody hears the Rocky theme going, you know, everybody runs up steps, everybody throws their arms in the air, everybody thinks they can fight, you know. So um, I, it was great music and it just helped get me up there and helped me concentrate, you know. No, absolutely. Listen, uh, it, it's gone down in folklore, that fight, and obviously the second fight has as well. It's an iconic fight, but the, the, the narrative of the build-up to the fight kind of gets lost because it, it, it was a thing for you at that particular time of your career to be the last-minute standing, wasn't it? I mean, your, your first opportunity to become a world champion, that was uh, a last-minute standing. And this year, you, you, uh, you replaced Ray Close coming into this fight on short notice. Yeah, unfortunately for Ray, he failed his medical and Sky TV then, you know, demanded a, a, a uh, an opponent of, well, I won't say of calibre, but they reckon they've been picking easier fights. They wanted a, a, more of a challenge. I was the current uh, middleweight champion uh, going into that fight. And they actually built a champion versus champion because for, uh, from that night onwards and, and a while afterwards, I was actually, I, I held both middleweight and mm. super middleweight titles, and I had to make a decision then eventually which one I was going to uh, hang on to. But for a while, I was middleweight and super middleweight champion of the world, which, which, which was you know a nice little bragging right yeah. I have there, you know. But it's always nice to have those extra um, eight pounds to play with, isn't it? And in, in your in your body, Steve. And um, you know, Chris Eubank was a real figure at the time, wasn't he? He was someone who you knew. There was something in you, because I've spoken to you about this probably a few times. He was the big name out there. He was the one yeah. we all wanted to fight, you know, because, you know, Chris Eubank was so big. To get an opportunity to fight him, you know, it, it gets you promoted in, into the limelight. It gets you, you know, a chance to become famous. And win, lose, a draw, you were guaranteed a good payday because he was the big <laughs> name. So it was it was a win-win, you know, if you didn't get the decision. At least, you know, you had a chance to um, get exposure. Plus, you know, I... I held on to my middleweight title, which I could always fall back on if it didn't go my way. So for me, it was a, it was a, it was a, a no loss situation for me taking them on, and it, it was a fight I'd been looking for for a long time. Getting back to the weight scenario, it wasn't a case of it was eight pounds less I had to lose because yeah. I was I was a very very big middleweight as a, as an amateur I fight heavy, as an amateur I box international and light heavyweight. So 
I was coming down a lot of weight. I'm getting older and, get, and losing weight as I get older, it gets harder. So it was a case I had to lose eight pounds less. So I had immense strength in there compared to what I would have had as, as a middleweight. So I, I, it was a big advantage for me, really. You know, going over this in forensic detail, did you know in fight week you had him? Did you? Because he people forget with Eubank, he was a very canny, very clever kind of fighter who was an opportunist in a lot of ways, wasn't he? But you brilliantly outworked him. Did you know that you'd be able to do that? Did you know in fight week you were going to get on top of him? Well, let me let me say something. I was no better than Chris Eubank or Nigel Ben or any of these guys I fought. You know, these guys had a lot of talent and more talented than me in lots of ways. But what I had going into that fight is I had gained great knowledge and experience on my travels. I spent five years in the Brockton gym yeah. with the Petronellis. You know, I was there when Marvin Hector was still champ. From then, I went on. To, to, I was trained by the great heavyweight Floyd Patterson, who was basically a blown-up middleweight, and I learned so much from him. For Floyd Patterson, you know, I went to ben, you know Bernard Checker, the great mm. South American coach. I, I, I Freddie King, and then I ended up with with, with, with Freddie Roach. So, you know, I, I could match him physically, but what I had over them all was I had education and knowledge. And that was my advantage going into the ring. I was no better than him. I was no tougher, no stronger, no braver. But I just knew more because I've been around a lot of great coaches and I picked up a lot in the game and I had a lot of knowledge. That was my advantage over Chris Eubank and guys like Nigel Ben. I was no better than them. I just had a good education and I could plan a fight and I, had, I knew how to change and, and adapt from, from my education being with great coaches and trainers in my career. You've just been speaking about weight and um, obviously the tank that you had in that fight, but it took a lot out of you, didn't it, that first fight? Because I was reading a story the other day where, um, where, where did, you, did you have to go to the hospital afterwards because you passed out or something because of the amount of energy that you put into the fight? I put everything into it. You know, I, I, um, I put everything into it. I, I, you know, I wasn't as fit in the first fight as I was in the second fight, but I gave 100%. I said, I'm going to, you know, throw everything, my every ounce of energy I have, I throw into the fight. Go back to the dressing room. I was just, I just collapsed with exhaustion. Yeah. I had to lay down. The doc came in. They covered me with bags of ice. My temperature had risen. My heart was racing. I was absolutely exhausted. But, you know, an hour or two later, some water, um, being reminded that I, I am now the super middleweight champion of the world that beat Eubank, and the yeah. fact that I was going to get a payday in my next fight was the best cure <laughs> possible, you know? <laughs> and I'm sure, what was it, eight to 10,000 Irish fans in Ireland on St. Patrick's weekend. That must have been something special, that, Steve. I, I think the funniest thing was um, the, the weigh-in was on St. Paddy's Day parade. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and the parade ended beside the venue, so we went for a weigh-in at the venue, and the parade was finishing up where the venue for the weigh-in took place. And something like six <laughs> like thousand people squeezed into the venue, and the promoter was there, and he and he he was bull- he, he was kind of annoyed that he'd missed an opportunity. He caught himself. <laughs> very funny. He said, "If I charged a pound a head for people to come to this weigh-in, he just could have made five or six thousand pounds." He said, "I missed an opportunity here, you know." And that I think that upset him more than anything else. But it was a great. Uh, atmosphere at the way in because everyone had you know the parade ended there and the crowds were there and it was a real buzz you know it was a, it was a great buzz about it and the, the fact is we had to weigh in in a, in a small room because we couldn't yeah. weigh in in public there's too many people but then we came out and we, we got on the scales then in the ring which is a public weigh in 
but it wasn't the official way and so I kept my clothes on because I already made the way and, and Chris you know stripped off into his underwear to show his great physique off and people looking at me weighing in, in my clothes and saying he's got his clothes on and he, you know, he's only weighing 12 stone. He's still a middleweight. <laughs> so, you know, the way it already happened in there or two beforehand. Oh, listen, you killed him mentally. If I had the physique Chris Eubank had, I'd have stripped off as well. <laughs> yes, I exactly. couldn't match him in yeah. that department, you know. So, so you're saying that lockdown's not going well in that way then? You're not working on the physique at the moment, yeah? Um, can I tell you, can I tell you, be honest with you now, right? Up until Christmas, I was super fit, right? When the second lockdown came in, I just threw the towel and I gave up. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm now enjoying the lockdown. I'm having a nice Guinness. I'm having a nice good man. That's a thing. I'm enjoying the food, but I'm not really putting weight on for some reason, and it's really peeing my wife off. Maybe it's going to happen next month or something, but it hasn't happened yet. I've seen people getting away with it, you know. <laughs> Steve, um, we, we've been at many boxing events together. We've been at the polo together, for goodness sake, haven't we? we we've been at dinners together for many years. I've, I've, I've seen you so many times. I've got to ask you, we're talking about Eubank there. His son, Chris Eubank Jr., is about to come back and fight again. I've just been in the uh, Canarias, Canarias with Billy Joe Saunders. Um, I've just seen him mentally. you talking about you mentally. I've, I've spent... The two days with Billy Joe Saunders where I've never seen him as mentally switched on, and I really mean that. Do you think that Billy Joe Saunders can beat Canelo and get into him in the same way that you got into these guys all those 25, 26 years ago? Well, well you know, Canelo's a bit special. He's, he's a very special fighter, but the questions are, he's been around a long time. Is he going to underestimate Billy Joe Saunders? Plus, Billy Joe Saunders is a physically big guy. Canelo's a small guy. I, I stood mm. beside him. I've been at some of the shows. I've met him after fights. I stood beside him. He's a small man. He you know, is. he's a small guy, but he's, but he's a very, very clever. He's such an educated fighter. I can't see anybody beating him if he's on form. But he could make the mistake and underestimate BJ Saunders and, and, and could pay the price for it. Um, Steve, if I may, I, w I would like to talk about um, marvelous Marvin Hagler, if that's all right, because I know that you, you are kind of linked, obviously, with your work that you've just mentioned there with the Petronelli uh, brothers back in the day. And obviously that is where um, heavy links there with Marvellous Marvin Hagler. H horrific news last week that at 66 years of age, um, he, uh, he, he sadly passed away. What, what are your memories of him, not only as a fighter, but also as a fan, I've no doubt, uh, during those 80s? Well, you know, I was a fan of Hagler's to the point that I watched him fight and I, I looked at him and I said, there's something about his style. I'm not making comparisons in any way at all. I wouldn't have the gall to do that. But I watched his style and I went, his style is the style I want to learn. He's not the biggest puncher. He's not the fastest. He's not, but he has a, piece, a bit of everything. So he's a good all-rounder. And I classed myself as a good all-rounder instead of standing out in one particular department. And I thought, you know what? If I could be with the people he's with and learn to fight like him, I could be champion. So I, I, packed, I packed my bags and, and lived, you know, and, and moved to America and moved to Brockton and, and I ended up in the gym and, you know, I'm in the gym, I'm on the punch bag and on the bag beside me is Marvis Marvin Hagler. But, you know, I'm watching the mirror and watching him hitting the bag, not concentrating on what I'm doing. I'm just going through the motions. I'm watching, watching everything he's done, listening to him, talking to him, trying to get, you know, get a piece of him to rub off on me and trying to get into his, his mindset, you know. And he was still champ then and, and it was, he was, was a really lovely guy, you know. I, I'm going back to like, you know, his wife would drop up to the gym, she'd win and talk to the Petronellis. His eldest boy was there 
he'd been a teenager, which means he'd been in his late forties, early fifties, and he was a local man, a local lad. You know, he was a he was a Brockton, he was a Brockton fighter, and he was just just an ordinary guy to be around. And then, of course, you know, the Leonard fight. You know, we've all got opinions on that. You know, in my opinion, the Hagger that fought Leonard wasn't the Hagger, you know, two or three years previous. But I don't want to take out the way from Sugar Ray Leonard. He, he he boxed a very clever fight. You know. It's an argument whether he won it or not. He might rather than be Hagler, I think he stole it. But if Hagler had got the decision, I wouldn't have argued, you know. And then, you know, Marvin upheaval then, then he, he moved to Italy and totally disappeared. And then he, he said, come back over to Brockton and drop in, maybe to catch up a family. And he committed to gym. And we'd be all gobsmacked because his English was so poor. He had, he was, he, he was he's Italian. He was like an Italian person trying to speak English. He became so Italian. <laughs> It was funny because I knew Marvin when he was, you know, the Brockton fighter. And all of a sudden, I'm talking to this guy who's like an Italian guy learned to speak English. And we used to get a laugh over, you know, because he was pure Italian. His wife's Italian. He lived in North Italy. And he really he really absorbed the Italian lifestyle. And it was the best movie ever made because, you know, Brockton was a poor city. And Marvin was a big fish in a small pond. And there's a lot of people around there who he would have grown up in the neighborhood who he could handle. But when you become a world champion and a superstar, these people have, a, you know, have agendas and they're not good people to be around and I, I, I think it was a good move for him to get out of Brockton because he'd outgrown Brockton and, and to go to Italy you know probably extended his life and gave him a better life whilst he was still on, on the earth and, and um, uh, you know getting back to what he said about his death I thought Marvin was older I, I forgot he was only 66 and mm. you know I'm, I'm sure it's going to come out soon what the cause of death was um, I, 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 I get the impression listen to, you know listen to Kay his wife speak that I think he may have been expecting that I may have known it because she, he had plans and wishes that she's putting together and carrying out for him so why does someone who's not expecting it have his wishes and plans for his funeral at such a young age so we will find out what you know his cause of death was but he's, he's still too young he's very very young I mean you know when I'm 66 I'm going to make a comeback that's how I think you know yeah. 66 you know no way it's not old no. You know, when, you're, when you're 56, it's not old. When no. you're 26, it's very old. But when you're 56, it's not old, you know? Absolutely. Steve, I'm 55, and I thought of that myself. You know, you're a year older than me. And the, the thing is, I mean, your, your, your memories of, of Marvin, Marvellous Marvin, are, are extraordinary because, you know, so many of us love Hagler. And Adam and I were reflecting, um, you know, last week that, that people like Hagler, the reason why he's so beloved as well is that... He is a man who no one ever had a bad word to say about in, in our industry that's shark-infested at times. Can I just ask you as well whether, you know, given, I mean, the lineage of, of coaches and trainers that you went through, like you say, Floyd Patterson, Freddie Roach at the end, the Petronelli brothers, Goody and Pat were two extraordinary people as well, weren't they? Because um, Goody had been friends with uh, Ali Colombo and Rocky Marciano. They were really, like... Their fathers had known each other from Abruzzo in Italy. Um, you know, did they ever tell you stories about um, Rocky Marciano when you were around them? Oh, good. He spoke about rock, the Rock all the time. Rocky Marciano was, his, you know, his, probably his best friend, and he, he would say that if Rock, if Rock was around today, he'd be his partner in the gym. You know, we had we had Mike Cappiello, Rocky Marciano's nephew, was one of the fighters in the gym. So, you know, there's a very strong connection there. I mean, he was the Brockton uh, bomber. He put Brockton in the map of boxing, and him were very, very close friends, and and um, it, it was part of the um, heritage down there. It was, it, was, it was an amazing place to be, and it was just to be around them for the and the time I was around them. I, I, you know, it was the best start I could have had 
in my professional career. And I look back and I, and I just, I don't know how I ended up there, but I'm so happy I did begin there because it led on to, you know, great things. And But it all started there, you know? No, absolutely, man. Um, listen, Steve, last time you were on the show, we were having a little bit of a joke about um, maybe some of the fights that got away. And obviously, Roy Jones always comes up, always comes up. Um, <laughs> what, what did you what did you make of uh, his little comeback at the uh, at the back end of last year? And did it get the old uh, knuckles uh, itching once again? Didn't bother tuning in. It's a lot of rubbish, you know. It's, it's, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll go back a little a, a little, a little thing about Marvin. A little more I'll tell you about Marvin now. Um, I'll tell you two stories actually, if I have the time. Yeah, right? go for it. One, one is Hagler hadn't been in the gym very often before the Leonard fight. As far as I was concerned, he, he was retiring. The, the hunger was no longer there. The, the accomplishment was no longer there. There's nothing, nowhere else, nothing for him to do. He wanted Leonard. Without Leonard, his career was over because, you know, he was comfortable, he was wealthy, and he had nothing else to prove except he wanted to be Sugar Ray Leonard. So, you know, he wasn't really, he, he was basically re- semi-retired. And then the Leonard fight came about, he kind of came out of retirement. But I don't think the edge was there. Hmm. You know what I mean? And the Leonard's fight hadn't come about, Hagler would have never fought again. He only came back for the, the challenge. It was a challenge that he thrived on. He loved the challenge. He loved to be, you know, under pressure. And it brought the best out in him. Those, just, get, getting back to that, sorry, getting back to the other point I made is, right? My, my son just reminded me of something recently. Uh, my son, Luke. Um, he, he, in the gym, we had all these lockers in the dressing room, okay? And we all had keys, but one key, I think, you know, would open nearly half the lockers because it was just lockers. The keys opened them all. And there was, there was three or four lockers in the middle, which were Marvin's lockers. And Franklin Sports used to sponsor them. And we had keys that got open Marvin's lockers. And he had all this equipment in there. He bike mitts, he boots, he had loads of stuff, you know. He didn't even know it was there. And every once in a while, we'd pinch stuff out of it, you know. <laughs> he never found out. And I'm, I'm just the first time I've revealed this because my son said to me, "Hey, Dad, you can talk about the stuff you took out of Marvin Hagler's dressing room locker now because um, he, you know, he's not going to come knocking your door to, to beat you up for it, you know." But yeah, that's just yeah, it was funny we, with his lockers there. We used to all um, dip in and get missing. He, he didn't even know they were there, you know. But just these funny little tales. Um, it, you think back, he was very ordinary. He was a very, yeah. he was a very ordinary person in, in many ways, you know. It was just normal. Steve, just on what you were saying there about um, him and the challenges that, 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 he, that he wanted, if you look at that dynasty of four kings, all of them carried on maybe well past their prime and, and just kept coming back and coming back and coming back. Marvin out the four was the one that was able to walk away. Did you ever manage to speak to him about that, about staying away from uh, the ring? Uh, I didn't because I understood why he'd done it. Because, you know, as again, what, what, come towards the end of my career, I was, I was 33 years was my birth, my, my age, and um, I was happy. I'd beaten the, I, you know, I'd opportunity to fight great names. I was successful, and I was comfortable. You know, financially, I was, I was secure. And I, I wanted one more fight. The only fight that appealed to me was Roy Jones. I mean, there was a, a half dozen up-and-coming young fighters, young champs. One of them was Joe Kalzaki and all these guys, but no one knew of them. They were great fighters, but they weren't big names. We didn't know of them. They weren't, there was no money fighting them. There was no interest in fighting them. The last big fight for me was the Roy Jones, which was a bit like Hagler. And I would have come back for that, you know, I would have, that was the fight I wanted. But when that fight wasn't going to happen, I had no desire to hang around. Why hang around and get beaten by younger guys who wouldn't beat you in your prime? And if the hunger and the fear is not there, you know, and the desire is not there, get out of the game. Don't fool yourself. And Hagler was smart enough and sensible enough to do that, you know. Yeah. And plus, he enjoyed life in Italy. He enjoyed his life all day. He was in movies. He was living a good life. So he was, he was occupied and his yeah. mind was, was, was active and he wasn't, missing it enough to come back, you know? Yeah. 
Um, Adam's going to give me the last question here, right? It's two pronged, okay? Um, it's brilliant to hear you, Steve. It's great to hear you on such great form as well. It's it, it's touching me tonight. This it, it is. Um, as a super middleweight, how would you have done against Joe Calzaghe and Saul Canelo Alvarez? And also, will Fury and Joshua happen, and who's going to win it? Well, the, the first question is okay, and I've always said it: everybody can be beaten. Okay, it's all about the game plan. If you study your, your opponent and you and you watch him and you watch him often enough, you'll find and see the weaknesses and you'll know the weaknesses. And it's all about planning the fight and exposing that weakness and taking advantage of it. No one's perfect. You understand? And sometimes when guys fight and they lose, they realise they lost because of the weakness they have and they improve the weakness and they become better fighters afterwards. You know what I'm saying? So I would have studied them and watched them and found a way to beat them. Because I believe I had the, the knowledge and, and the ability to adapt. It's thought to beat anybody. So I, if, if, if them fights ever became reality to me in the day, I would have watched them and studied them. But they weren't fights that were reality, so it wasn't my time, and they weren't in my era. So I never really studied them. I never really thought about them. But if they were in my era, I would have studied them and watched them and found a way to uh, you know, get past their defense or help to get to them, help to bring them into the fight that was my fight and not their fight. And it's just... It's just Battle plans, game plans, all there is. And it's very, very simple if you know how to do it, you know. Mm. And the final you one on the, head, yeah, on the head, heavyweights? Um, you know what? I'm, I'm a big fan of Andy Josh. I think he's a lovely, he's a great man and he's great for boxing. My problem is he, 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 he's so much more he can learn. He hasn't had the education in boxing. You know, he's had one coach, a very good coach, but all he knows is what that coach taught him. There's so much more he needs to learn and hasn't learned yet. And then I look at Fury, okay? And I look at a man six foot nine who moves like a middleweight. I mean, he's, he's exceptional. How can a heavyweight be as mobile and agile? Plus, he's brave and he's tough and he, and he can take a good shot and come back. I, I think he's, he's, he's so hard to beat. I think, to me, he's the man who's going to win the fight. But you know what? AJ's got so much talent and AJ hasn't reached his, his, his peak yet. He's, he could be such a better fighter if he had the Petronellis, if he had the Freddie Kings, the Freddie Rogers, the Bernard Checkers, you know, the, the great coaches educate him. He'd be a better fighter. But unfortunately, he's been loyal and stuck to his one coach. He's a very good coach, but he only knows that one coach taught him. There's so much more out there he could have learned. And that has held him back, in my opinion. So there you have it. That was Fight Night this week. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. If you did, please hit subscribe to the podcast. You can do it on iTunes and you can do it via the TalkSport website. TalkSport.com is where you go. Next weekend, Dillian White's in action against Alexander Povetkin. The heavyweights are going at it in the boxing. The heavyweights are going at it in the UFC as well. As Steve Miocic defends his crown against Francis Ngannou. Come and join us on Saturday night live uh, for a big build-up towards all those fights. But if you can't, don't worry. It'll all be in the podcast for you next Monday. Catch you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 